Standby like use 2 through 33, sound 1A through 7 on deck. Standby Q actors. Electrics, kill the blue run lights, please. Like you 2 and sound 1A. Go. Hello, everyone. I'm Chanel Bragg, Associate Artistic Director for Arizona Theater Company. And I'm so excited to have been your one of your hosts for Hang and Focus. But I am most certainly ready to hand the reins back on over to Ms. Carly Preston. So please join us, Carly. Hi. Hi, everybody. We've missed you. I missed you guys, too. But, girl, you did, you did a fantastic job. Well, thank you, but big, big shoes to fill. So thank you so much for allowing me to play. Um, so tell the people what you've been up to. We did do a package that highlighted uh, that you were working with the Rogue Theater and it was wonderful to see you social distancing. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. It was, but you know, we closed and I'm back. So, but again, thank you. Cause it was just, it's a lot when you have a full-time job and then you rehearse at night or you're in tech or, whatever, so I needed to take a hiatus for a little bit, but I've missed you guys um, every Friday, and, and I'm, I'm back now. Well, great, because today is a special day. It's our first Hang and Focus takeover. Now, what is a Hang and Focus takeover? Now, here at Arizona Theater Company, we hand over the keys to our platform to center the voices of people, organizations, and groups within our community. Now, these special episodes give over curatorial control, and in doing so, gives us new ideas and deeper perspectives. See, by handing over our platform, participants are encouraged to speak for and from their communities in a way that resonates and provides visibility and representation. So welcome to your first Hang and Focus Takeover. Now, we're handing it over to a member of our Arizona Theater Company family, Shabana Calder, creative director of Muhair Magazine and founder of Arts in Color. Of course, you know her uh, as Joe in Legend of Georgia McBride, both here. She also did it at the Milwaukee Rep. She has been in the national tour of Hairspray on Saturday Night Live, Carolina Change at Zach Theater in Austin, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Uh, she calls this interview designing for our own narratives, and it is based on this collision of fashion and theater and about these artists these BIPOC artists that are working in, these, in this industry in costume design, hair, and makeup, and some of the challenges uh, that, that we face, and as well as some of the celebration as well. So for me, I thought it was important that Kali and I also talk about this because we both are actresses and we both have experienced different things within our industry uh, that can make us feel othered at times. Um, and primarily with the discussion being around hair and makeup and costume, I often feel um, that BIPOC people suffer the most at the hands of this in the design team element. Sometimes there's a disconnect. And so I'm really grateful when I step into a place where they have done the work that makes me feel like that is also inclusive of my ethnicity. Um, I'd like to give an example. So when I did cabaret here at Arizona Theater Company, the designer, Leah Peel, pulled me aside and said, I would like to have a discussion with you about your hair. She was able to talk to me about what my actual hair type was. For those of you that are familiar with hair types in the African-American community, my hair is a four type, four uh, C type. And she said, based on this curl pattern, I think that these are the vintage hairstyles that would look good with that. And we went together and looked at different pictures and that is how we came up with the hairstyle that I had for that show. I'm so grateful because that is not often the conversation. I have been in several shows where I've either provided my own wigs, so that way then I could control whether or not they look good or whether or not they were ethnically appropriate. You know, the, the, the conversations that are happening, we don't often think about, like, the backstage. You know, right now it's theaters. Theaters, I feel are focusing on who's on stage and what what that makeup looks like. And so it's it's so important to think about about these organizations and not just theater, but these organizations as a whole. And does that mean necessarily that the theaters have to go, okay, we have to get all BIPOC designers? No. And I loved your example about ATC that that we didn't have, I'm assuming, I think she was no. 
Yeah. No, she, she wasn't five. She, yeah. But she, she did her research and she came to you and she had these conversations. That's, that's amazing. That's such a huge, huge step. Um, I don't think I have ever worked on a show with a BIPOC designer, actually. Um, I'm trying to like go, go back, but I don't, I don't think I have. Um, I am too with hair. I have been asked like, can we make it more ethnic? Um, you know, either like, can you go get braids? But then they expect me to pay for it. And for those of you that don't know, getting, getting your hair done. It's expensive. Is, it is expensive. And it's, and it takes a lot of time, you know? So then I have to go and look through, you know, wigs and stuff. And it's, it is, like you said, most of the time it's, you're providing your own, your own look. You have to understand that the African diaspora is vast and it is beautiful and it comes in multiple shades. So when we're talking about hair type or we're talking about tight color, or we're talking about makeup, um, these, the theater industry has to understand that, especially particularly our stories, right? I'll talk about your and my story that we shared yeah. today, um, how, how you must take that into consideration when you're in the room. And when you are deciding on the show and when you're deciding on what designers to choose, please understand that this is what comes with us. And these in interviews are incredible and we cannot wait for you to watch. So giving it over to Ms. Shavanna Calder, this is the Muhair Takeover. Hey all, my name is Shavanna Calder. Most of you might know me as an actor as I was just at ATC in The Legend of Georgia McBride as Joe. However, I'm also the creative director of Mujer Magazine. Mujer is a feminist fashion magazine that disobeys patriarchy-defined notions of beauty. We are currently launching our digital issue, which is up now, so you can visit our website to check that out. The Digital Issue is a great collaboration with proceeds going to two organizations that help women who are survivors of domestic violence and human trafficking. Um, I'm also the founder of Arts and Color, which started in 2013 as a site to celebrate people of color in theater. We also do a lot of equity and diversity work as well, and so it made sense for us to celebrate these two queens who will be with us today. Let's go ahead and meet the first one. Her name is Kara Branch, a dear friend of mine. She's a costume designer and she's worked all over. She worked on Slave Play on Broadway, Hamilton National Tour, and also The Secret Life of Bees. So let's meet Kara Branch. I've always loved fashion clothes, everything like that. So I ended up going and studying fashion design in college. The program that I was in gave me the opportunity to study in London. And one of my professors that I studied under in London was a costume designer. And I got to kind of shadow him and go and see what he actually did. And when I came back to the States, um, I was like, well, let me go to my theater department and see, you know, what I can do. I can sew or do something. And so I ended up working in uh, the costume shop there, but it was too late for me to switch my major. And so uh, by the time I graduated, I ended up working in corporate America for a few years and going and either doing small gigs or volunteering at local theater companies. And after doing that for a few years, uh, I decided to apply for grad school and just, you know, really throw myself into it. Care Branch is the business. So next, let's meet Nakia Mathis. Nakia and I actually met at Hairversations, which was a conversation and a space for Black women to talk about their hair in the industry. Um, she is phenomenal. She is a hair and wig designer as well as an actress. Um, she is the creator of Actresses, which is a hair and wig design company. Um, they also consult and specialize in supporting actors of color in film, TV, and theater. She's also a Drama Desk Award nominee and an Antonio Award winner. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It is new as of this year. She has worked on a variety of projects, including for Color Girls at the Public, Classic Theater of Harlem, and also on the TV show Jessica Jones. So let us meet Nakia. You know, I'm an actress, so I, um, when I was in grad school, I remember doing my classmates' hair and thinking, oh, I would love to do this. Like, why isn't somebody doing this for us? I remember being in a, in a show at a, and two of the actresses needed their hair done and the act the theater company had no relationships with any stylists who did natural hair or anything so it's like if, if you weren't building a wig it was like well 
nobody <laughs> thought about these black women needing their hair done. And I, and I just was like, oh, girl, I can braid your hair for you. I can do your twists for you. And I realized that even being in conversations with my um, actress sisters in shows, mm -hmm. there needed to be some support for us um, you know, especially against all of the microaggressions that we experience as it results to our hair and our very person. Um, and I, I just always thought, oh, I would love to do that. So it just, I just started doing that. I was an actress and then someone would say, hey, I'm in the show. They don't have anyone to do my hair. Can I give them your name? And then it just turned into, I became a hair wig designer. Nikia Mathis is amazing and I continue to remain grateful that that woman is in my life. So to continue, welcome officially to Designing for Our Own Narratives. To start us off, we started with some basic questions so that you can get to know Nakia and Kara a bit more and also get to know a little bit about the industry that they're in. And then we will officially dive into the meat of this conversation. What was your first professional design experience? My first professional experience as the lead designer, it was working with this small theater company here in New York and they were doing Hamlet as a Shakespeare in the Park. It was probably just like a couple years ago, um, because I, I only, maybe I've been officially a hair wig designer for just a few years, um, but it was it was a one woman show and the woman, you know, I, it was in Connecticut, then it came to New York. In my naive head, I thought Shakespeare in the Park, like public theater, think Shakespeare. Yeah. No, they just like had a plot of land at a random part, part of Central Park and people could gather around. <laughs> and I was just surprised that they wanted me, you know, <laughs> you know, because I had been doing it just for my friends for so long. And I think that was something that was, um, it was, it was just a great process to be a part of. Um, and it helped me kind of solidify that, okay, yeah, I can do this. And it just felt really empowering that somebody said, and I think there's a level of, as a black woman, mm -hmm. there is messaging that allows us to second guess ourselves and our value. And I think mm -hmm. I totally experienced that. You know, it's always like, oh, do you really want me? I, you know, am I really of value? And it's like, well, yeah, people have been calling you, lady. What is your yeah. problem? But you know, there's something, there's a way in which we have to retrain ourselves and decolonize our own minds, you know, around our values. Were there missteps you made as an emerging designer? I don't know if it's inherent in my personality, but asking people for help. That has been my downfall multiple times where it's like, you know, I get put, a, I get be given a, a bunch of assignments to do and I'm like, oh no, I can handle this. And I'm realizing I don't have the time to do this, but I don't want to tell somebody, oh, I can't. Absolutely. I mean, Tara, that's pretty much what I was going to say in terms of not asking for help and overextending myself or just, you know, not or even if it is possible that it could be done and I just need some more resources, not feeling like I'm worthy to ask. Are there any misconceptions about what you do? I call it the fairy godmother syndrome that I think people really don't understand think Oh, we draw a picture, we hand it to somebody, they make it, and then it's on a stage. What I find interestingly, because I'm an actor and a designer, is that both sides of both teams sometimes don't understand each other. I think people just don't realize how intricate it actually is. And I don't even think I realized that until working on a certain level where it's like, you know, you'll go days just out looking for buttons. Like something that you know nobody is going to notice except for people with that detailed eye. But you're oh going and looking for every type of button that could be on this one dress. Like people aren't always um, understanding actually the vantage point of the other. That if mm -hmm. we realize like, oh, you know what? If an actor comes in and says, hey, how can I make this process as easy for the designer and then the designer you know do the same or understand you know maybe what challenges the actor has and, and of course this is not all actors and all designers but i do find like that there is a bit of a a communication gap what advice do you have for aspiring designers you have access to these people that we not even five years, we didn't have access to people like you do right now. Reach out to people. Sometimes they'll answer back, sometimes they won't. Um, make sure while we have this time that when jobs start opening up um, or internships or whatever opportunities, you have your ducks in a row. You have your resume together. You have a portfolio, whether it be digital or an actual one, like a physical one. 
just make sure that you have a clear, concise presentation to somebody to be like, I want to work for you or I want to be in this business. Here is what I have to offer. I feel like that's the best thing I could say to do right now. Um, and do your research. I think there are so many more resources online about what it is to actually start as a PA in TV or, you know, the, you know, how you can start reaching out to designers who have worked on have worked on certain shows that you like. Reach out to them and say, hey, I love your, your work on this thing. Here's my resume and go with it. I think that's be proactive and social media. Yeah. 100%, I would agree. I think um, reaching out, like if someone, like I, I, I am intentional about mentoring young black women, but ultimately any, anyone, if, if someone says, hey, I would love to learn from you, I'm, I'm absolutely open to that. And I can imagine that other people would um, as well. So I agree about about reaching out. And also, you know, sometimes people are looking for mentorship. And I think something to remember is that mentorship is not one-sided. In, in looking for someone to be a mentor, you also want to figure out how can I also add value to this person? So it's not that this mentor is giving, 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 and you're not just looking for something, a way to, to move up, but you want to also share and give in that relationship too. Come up with a list of all the Lort theaters. Go through, send your resumes out to them, send your portfolios out to them, send your stuff out as much as possible. Eventually you're gonna start getting nibbles back. Make sure those people consistently know what you're doing. Invite them to projects that you're working on. Invite them, if it's if it's something that they're streaming online, send them the link. Again, like speaking back to this uh, value piece, feeling like I wasn't, valuable until someone else said I was valuable. Say, hey, check out this this show I I did or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. I feel like if people if you reach out to people enough and they have your name in your head in, in their head, they'll start thinking about you when this stuff starts coming up of like, oh, remember that person? Oh, you know, let me reach out to them and see if they're what they're doing, what they're up to. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just being kind of proactive with everything. I think one of the, the things that I did initially, which was which was definitely a detriment, is I would sit back and wait for the phone to ring or for an email to come through. And that's one of the worst things that you can do because you will be waiting all day long when you could be sending out 50 emails and you're just waiting for one. I think there is something about knowing who you are, no matter what accolades and no matter, you know, no matter what someone else says of you or no matter what job you have, figuring out, well, what is my purpose? What do I want to give to this area? What do I want to give to the world of design? If there is something you can offer, you are valuable in that. So I think knowing that right off um, can just, I, I think it just helps with the journey. Great. So now that you know Nakia and Kara better, let us get into the deep end of this conversation. Things are going to get a little more nuanced, and I'm very grateful that you are joining us today for the rest of Designing for Our Own Narratives. But one of the things that I, you know, we, I think we've all been assessing is what, how our blackness intersects with what we do. Um, and so I'm wondering if for both of you, if you feel like there have been any barriers to entry or difficulties working in both of your fields being black women. Yes. Yes, there have yes. been. Um, particularly because um, the one wig designer who's working, the one African-American wig designer that is working constantly in New York is Cookie Jordan, who is amazing. But to, to, to have to question and ask, okay, well, where are the other ones at? You know, is, it's, it's a problem. I really feel like when, we, when there are plays um, that when there are stories that are Black-centered, Afro-centered, those, the people who are um, in charge of telling the story, it would be amazing for those to be Black people. Like oftentimes I feel like people think that diversity is having a black playwright in your season or hey mm -hmm. there are some black people in this play but then everyone backstage 
is not we're the people backstage who are of color though mm -hmm. so that's not real diversity like it is mm -hmm. to me it's a false sense of that um so so yeah it's it's a challenge i mean i know so many plays you know with black actors plays by black women with white wig designers who are amazing of course mm -hmm. but i think the challenge is that when there are when when leadership is fully white and the people hiring are white people tend to hire each other and mm -hmm. not think about oh in positions of leadership hey i pulled this person or i mentored this uh you know young white woman because she was a friend of a friend what about this black woman over here you know white people in general uh tend to have access and so much more access but um more access than black people are giving mm -hmm. and, I, and i think that becomes the challenge there's a, a wig designer a, a white male wig designer in new york that you know i heard him tell the story of oh i got this opportunity because somebody said hey you can do it not that he had the skill to do it right but, but, but that's how but that's how life works you know somebody mm -hmm. is given a chance so i think the challenge is that we are not given the same chances mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. you know trying to take my chance yes yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. i agree with that a hundred percent it's kind of the same within the the costume world um but yeah, no, the, the same with the wig designer that you were talking about. I remember one of the first uh, TV film projects that I ever had, you know, I after having my master's and working in New York off-Broadway for, you know, four or five years, um, I was driving this assistant costume designer around and I was like, oh, well, how did you get into this? Or how long, you know, just to, you know, kind of take advice from her of like how I might be able to approach this. And she was like, oh, well, you know, a couple years ago, um, I was working as an elementary school teacher, and I met this costume designer at a dinner party, and she just said that she liked my style, and she hired me. And I was like, wait, so did you ever study this? Or like, whatever. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's how it is, how easy it is for some people. Mm -hmm. And know that that will never be my reality. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. even if I were to meet somebody and they liked the way that I dressed, I would have to have accolades to back that up. And, you know, so yeah, th this is def this is a reality to this day of what yes. it is like in this industry. You will meet people all the time where you're just like, how are, how am I working under you right now? I just don't yeah. understand. Like, exactly. You know? Yeah. 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 That makes sense. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious, you know, it is of, of no surprise and we've been having I, conversations around different parts of the field. I had one recently about casting and especially in New York and how that's <laughs> just completely lacking in any sort of racial diversity. Um, and so <laughs> I wonder with uh, hair and wig design, also costume design, um, what, why do you think that there isn't more racial diversity in the field, which I'm sure we all know, but yeah. to break it down for people who haven't thought about this. Well, I think, you know, the, well, you know, the, are we going to go back to the founding of the country or do we want to start with the, with theater? You know, uh, you mm -hmm. know, it, when institutions are not created for you, when, when someone builds a home, and they don't build it for you, you are not welcome in there. They didn't, they're not building any structure to support you. The structure mm -hmm. was built to support someone else that does not look like us. So that's why there are so many things in place or so many times that we feel out of place in the house because mm -hmm. it was not built to support us. So I think that's ultimately what it is, even in terms of, you know, from wigs or, you know, the way in which um, wig prep is pin curls but that doesn't work for black women most sure of the time but that's mm -hmm. what wig prep is you know or even how many times you've seen a black woman in a silky straight wig on stage when it was supposed to be her hair because that is the traditional wig design and, and it, it was not built or made for us so i think it, it starts because when it was made people didn't have us in mind and they they are very slow 
in starting to think about us and consider us. I 100% agree with everything that was just said. I mean, even when it comes down to something basic that people do not think about, which we've had this conversation, when you talk about shoes, when you're talking about, you know, dance numbers, and you're looking at skin tone shoes, and you go to these big places, and they have one color, and that's it, and it's not mm -hmm. our color, like, it's just not. When you're looking at skins, like, they just passed a rule in our union that unless it is part of the design, you have to actively try to match the skin tone of the actor. In near 2020, that has just become... <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's ingrained in the fabric of the culture. Just... Mm -hmm. It is. I was just, I was talking to um, a, a group of actors. They were working um, at a, a regional theater. And again, this, this conversation about skin tone, the, the theater, I guess, maybe purchased a few pantyhose in the skin or undergarment, or I think it was pantyhose or something. And mm -hmm. when they ran out, you know, the woman was, uh, you know, the actress was like, hey, I need some more. And she's like, well, you're going through them too fast. But, but either way, whether I am or not, there are there should still be more pantyhose of my color. So you're gonna you're passing me some pantyhose pantyhose that look like they're for a white woman. My legs are ashy and making me feel bad about asking for the thing that I rightly deserve. Yep, that's absolutely it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of so I because I'm just as an actor not as familiar. I'm assuming there is, uh, because I know that this is, this is true sometimes for, for TV film sets, like you have to be similar to actors. I'm assuming you have to be a part of IATSE or some sort of union in order to work in certain houses as well. And so can you talk about um, getting, to, getting to that point? You know, because I'm sure in some ways that that is a barrier to entry for some folks as well. You know what's interesting for me, because I, I suppose, because of the way in which I started as a designer, I, ha I am not a, a union designer. I, mm -hmm. I um, just signed with um, an agent and she's asked me, hey, has anyone, you know, asked you to join the union? And I hadn't even thought about that. But, mm -hmm. but that's something that I need to investigate more because <laughs> no, no one has said, Nikia, you know, mm -hmm. it might be beneficial for right. you to join the union and, and and maybe that's because i don't have a mentor but no you know I, I wonder i wonder if it is a reflection of of who i am of this black woman like i wonder if i was white mm -hmm. if someone would have come along to check on me right mm -hmm. um so so that's interesting so so thankfully i've been able to i actually am in this position because of black women I'm in this position because black actors have spoken my name mm -hmm. and said, hey, can you hire Nakia? Other than that, that that's that's the reason why I'm here. So, I, you know, mm -hmm. again, I'm grateful for sisterhood and for someone, you know, trying to move me forward when they were in a space that where they had a little bit of power, not much, but a little bit trying to bring, you know, another person on. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, so I, the, the main, uh, designer union here in New York is USA 829. It's the costume designers union along with all other design fields and it's for TV and for film. And it's going through that whole process for me personally was just kind of completely the unknown. Everyone that I would ask questions about, they're like, oh, well, you know, and nobody really had an answer to anything. And so I'm like, well, what am I joining this for? All I know is that I need to join this in order to work on bigger projects. Mm -hmm. So I joined it, I pay my dues, it is what it is. Fast forward to now, we're, we're starting to go through and, and kind of uh, call out these institutions that represent us. Um, about how they are not being effective in our development, but yet we're paying you, you should be here to help us. And I'm finding that I thought, I, like, I didn't, I didn't want to seem like I was, you know, ignorant or dumb about joining an organization that I didn't really know anything about. 
But we're having these conversations and we're all figuring out none of us really know what any of this is about. And so now we're going back to basics and they're actually creating um, Zoom meetings for us to learn about the basics of the designer union. Wow. It's, and I was like, if I would have known that I was not the only person that was just like, this is so confusing. I don't understand what this purpose is of this thing or why this rule is this way or how I look at this certain part of my contract or whatever. Um, I would have asked a long time ago, but I just kind of assumed, oh, everybody knows this. So I'll eventually find the right person who will answer these questions for me. Um, but another thing that we're kind of analyzing, which I'm not sure how it is in the hair and makeup union or the actors union are the fees are so they can be so exorbitant that it by definition prevents certain people from coming into these jobs like mm -hmm. so you're working and you're trying to get stuff on your resume you're taking these low-paying jobs and then you start kind of developing things and you want to get on a union contract they're like okay go to the union the union says you need to pay you know three or four thousand dollars out of pocket right now and you can join the union it's like, well, who can do that? There's only right. a certain faction of people that can do that. And so it's just, it's just such a limiting thing that we're kind of realizing this entity that is supposed to represent us and supposed to take care of us that might not be doing that. And so um, they've been very, they've been pretty vocal about, you know, pushing through our demands and like what we're asking for and what we're looking for. So I think that that's been great, but just from the get of it, for to be an organization that I've given all this money to for five years, and I realized, okay, I really don't know what I was a part of, other mm -hmm. than a couple of jobs, uh, just by the the little stamp that says USA eight two nine. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm look. That's part of why I'm absolutely here for this time. Um, I am loving seeing people speaking their truth because a lot of us not necessarily have been living. Uh, Actually, that's part of the part of it that's frustrating is we haven't really been living in silence. We've been speaking this whole time. Um, folks are just uh, deciding to listen. Yeah. Some some folks. Um, somewhat related. I'm wondering if both of you have seen. There's a woman named uh, Wunmi Pora, I believe her name is, and she started a petition on Change.org about hair and makeup within uh, TV film but also on stage. And I wanted to go ahead and mention her because so many of us have been having to deal um, with, you know, the, the feelings that you were talking about before, Nikia, like the shame and the not wanting to come across as the angry black woman when all you're doing is asking for the thing that you need to, to do your job. Um, and so I'm wondering, you don't have to, to provide any solutions, actually, because I'm a big believer uh, that if folks want solutions, they can get in touch with both of you and compensate you for your knowledge. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm curious if you could share some of the common complaints you hear from performers of color when they are, you know, either in theaters or TV film. Yeah, I mean, I would say I don't know how many times I have heard an actor say, you know, uh, that someone has made um, a sideways remark about their hair or, you know, coming in with their natural hair and, oh, this is what we have to do, or, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, mm -hmm. it's so unfortunate. Or, you know, uh, being on set and you have, you as Black women, we twist our hair out for definition and someone coming with a water bottle <laughs> about to spray it, thinking that they are going to actually help and clearly they are about to destroy the style because they have no idea no. what they're doing or how to work with natural hair. No, ma'am. Um, yeah, so like, so those are, every black woman I have spoken to, every black actress has a story. Just ask them. And that's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. That's unfortunate, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kara? Definitely true. I mean, I just, I worked on a musical back in February. And I really wanted to work on it. Uh, the, I loved the director. I loved this story. And it was an all-black cast set yeah. in the 50s. And one of the first that they, I sent them, this is the breakdown of the budget. This is what it covers. And I was very explicit. You need to figure out wigs. You need to find or have me if you want me to find a hair and wig makeup uh, person. That's great. But 
this needs to be handled. They kept putting it off and kept putting it off and kept putting it off. And of course, we get to a week before we go into tech and the actors are like, oh, well, what are you doing about hair? And, and I wasn't in the room when this question was asked. So the producer calls me and is like, oh, Kara, they have questions about hair. And I'm looking at him like, okay, what are we doing? Like, I've told you what I need. What are you giving to me? Uh -huh. and, it, you know, and so I've been in that position more times than I can count where I think the producer's just like, oh, well, you're black. You can do both things. And I'm like, no, like, even if I could do what I wanted to do to her hair, he deserves somebody who has studied this and is a professional at it. And I don't want that liability of me sitting there with a curl. Like, I'm not touching, like, I mean, beyond uh -huh. me, I'm not doing that. And so I'm like, there is a respect issue that I think that sometimes they just, a lot of people just don't get. And uh -huh. as a designer, I frequently am like, oh, well, you can do both. No, it's a completely different skill set. Yeah, definitely. I agree. There's a there's a disrespect for you as the black designer, and there's a disrespect for the actor as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, and it's it, also like, if I can do both, are you going to compensate me for both? Um, yeah. Because I signed this contract, as far as I know, to act in this production. Well, listen. Um, so <laughs> now, if you, if I'm taking on hair design responsibilities, which is what is happening and cutting into the time I could be focusing on the acting. All I ask is that I'm then compensated because you are forcing me to do another, like an additional job. Absolutely. Um, and so from this, I just, I just feel like the takeaway is listen to black women. You know, I think, um, we are very clear in asking for our needs. It also takes a certain amount of courage and effort when there is such a history of being dismissed or ridiculed. Absolutely. So a lot of times, right, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, you know, Nikia, you and I uh, have talked about a recent experience that I had, but it's like, I already know. Here's the thing. I realize when I travel to certain parts of the country, it is not New York City, and that is fine. And when I get to your theater company, it is not likely going to be as diverse as a, as a bigger city. Like, it just isn't. There are certain parts of the country um, that are, like, 90% white. So, exactly. fine. You don't have those people on your staff? Okay. Then when I refer you to a specialist like Nakia or Kara, maybe what you should do is take me up on that knowledge because what ends up happening most times is time is wasted. Yeah. I'm exhausted. You're exhausted. And money. Like money is wasted because now we've gone in five million directions that were not at all the thing that I said. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, and that goes back to the whole like disrespect thing. Like why, why when we speak up, is there not an acknowledgement of like, oh, right. So this person is probably an expert in exactly. this thing you know exactly <laughs> listen i mean and you're so right i don't know how many times and it's not even a thing about oh these black people are asking for way too much because i have seen a firsthand a stylist come in to do a white actor's hair and then come into the theater and then the black actor has had to travel to brooklyn or or wherever had to figure it out on their own so you are making accommodations mm -hmm. when you want to so you know there's just a love there i think that that put that word respect mm -hmm. and and you know comes up again yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um do you have so i'm curious because i i haven't heard a lot of people talking about this so much um, unless it's either about one experience or the other and this doesn't necessarily need to be a blanket statement, but I'm wondering if there are some differences that either of you notice when you work at like PWIs. And for those who don't know, predominantly white institutions, when you are designing versus when you work at POC focused theaters and maybe just like what, um, yeah, what some of the differences are in your experiences so far. Yeah, I feel like, um, often I experience uh, microaggressions, a level of being looked at. There's, a, there's often a level of, when I'm working at um, PWIs, mm -hmm. um, feeling like uh, people are checking over my shoulder because mm -hmm. they're wondering how I got here. 
wondering why I'm here, how good I am. Whereas when I am at um, a black institution, there's a oftentimes there's a level of gratitude, a level of hey, glad you're here. Yes. What do you need? Oh, you need that? Oh, no problem. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying that this is across the board for. You know, PWIs, because of course there are places I've been that have been um, extremely generous. But but mm-hmm. oftentimes what I find is that when I'm working at PWIs, I'm coming in, not not all the time, but sometimes I'm coming in at the last minute because they mm. did not think ahead about the needs of their black actor. So then we're <sighs> we're trying to hustle to try to make something happen and. And it doesn't have to, like you're saying, it doesn't have to be like that. Mm-mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And then kind of going back to the question before, I feel like working at or working on productions where you have the producers, the director, the people who are kind of in charge of the money people um, that are uh, black or POC, um, we don't need to have these conversations two and three times. Mm. You know, they hear something one time and they get it because they've been through it. They understand. When we have these hair conversations, they get it because they know what it is to deal with black hair and how uh, intricate it can be. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, I feel like there's more explanation that needs to go into certain needs or demands that I don't have to do uh, when working with um kind of uh, either black institutions, black theater companies, or um, dealing with um, productions with a staff, a or POC on. That makes sense. Um, Okay. And I also wanted to give us the opportunity to dream because I do think I've been doing a little bit of that during this time, just thinking about, you know, what do I, what do I want my future experiences in this field to be as an actor outside of being an actor like what do I envision uh for that and so I'm curious and hopefully we'll be able to include some images in this as well but when you're dreaming about like a project let's say like two years from now a year from now there's a project that you're working on what it who is on your dream team and what elements are a part of that project it could be you know, someone who's assisting you or who is the playwright, director, the, the theater, or what is the story about any of that? This is a very difficult question because I feel like, no, not because I can't think of people who I would want to work with or mm-hmm. what project I would want to do. I just feel like one of the things that I've been able to reflect back on through all of this is the, the limitations that I put on myself. And I mm. feel like put something out there of like I want to work with these three people and this type of thing and like I'm doing the same thing I want I want it to be infinite like Mm -hmm. I want it to be something completely unknown or that's never been done before that I can create an entire world that nobody's ever seen like make it like the biggest dream that you could possibly make Um, Mm -hmm. that would be my dream something that I don't even know yet yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. no that's good absolutely I'm really into um the Afro futuristic aesthetic right now. Mm, so like that, mm-hmm. because it's so, like you're saying, it's like so expansive. Like I could just dream up a world where I am centered in it. And like mm-hmm. that is, um, that is what uh, I would love to do. But I, what, what, I, there, there are playwrights that I love, like Dominique Morisot. Mm-hmm. What I love about Dominique and there are other um, playwrights uh, black female players like this too but what I love about her is the activism that she has in her work is in her life there, there's just a level of integrity that I've seen her walk with and I so appreciate that that that's really important to her um, and it's not simply about getting ahead but she has an African aesthetic of how do I bring my people up higher um, but all I know is that when if, if I'm doing this Afro-futuristic woman-centered piece that Mm -hmm. I would love for it to have, um, you know, a a black female, uh, I guess, well-known actors, as well as brand new, maybe even high school students. There's something about like mentorship that's important Mm -hmm. for me, like 
for us to be in spaces where, you know, young Black women who don't, who are asking questions and wondering can get the answers. Like that interest, that generational intersection is, is awesome to me. Mm-hmm. I love that. That mm-hmm. just reminded me of, I remember I grew up doing a lot of um, community theater and youth theater starting when I was five. And the first professional show that I did was when I was 16, I got to do a production of The Wiz. Mm-hmm. And I was the youngest person in that show. And to be 16 and to be surrounded by like this black beauty and excellence. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Like Mm -hmm. I, and it was wonderful for me. And you know, there was definitely part of me that was intimidated because I, I hadn't yet had to, I feel like push myself in, in the way that that production required of me. Um, and I also just learned so much like that's truly how I learned how to do my makeup. There was a, right. a, a wonderful man named Carlton who like pulled me aside with my caboodle and was like, this that you're doing right now, <laughs> exactly. um, exactly. let me help you, you know, and to, yeah, to have that. And there's another woman from that production as well, who's now in New York. I ran into her. I hadn't seen her since I was 16. I ran into her for the first time last year. Um, and you know, like with us, it's family, you know? And so I hear you on that, like the wanting that intergenerational, um, experience. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's priceless. Um, this is somewhat related, but I mean, outside of just future projects, when you have been taking time to think about, um, the industry, just what do you, have you had any thoughts about what you would like the industry to look like? as things slowly uh, get back up and running? I mean, I have lofty goals with it, but even just small goals, let's start with that, to mm-hmm. be able to go to a room, and it if it's not a, a quote-unquote black show, to not be the only person in that room. Like, let's just start there. Like, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and not just theater, that's TV too to be able to see more diversity, more uh, representation so that when questions of certain things come up, I don't have to be the token voice for all of black America, you know? <laughs> yes. All the time. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't think that anybody is doing it maliciously. They just don't know. And they just see a black person like, oh, ask the black person, you know? Mm-hmm. That would be my goal just starting. I mean, yes, I have goals for the future of it, but let's just start with like the bare minimum that you can do. Yeah, that yeah. you should have been doing, but okay. Yeah, absolutely. And nobody yeah. is understanding the pressure of being the only one in a space, whether it is a white woman being the only white woman in a space. But for us, especially being being a woman and being Black, you know, is, is a double... Uh, pressure when you are alone in a space. But I agree. I agree with Kara on that. Um, I would say, yeah, I think for, for me, it is trying to redefine what a space is. And for me to, like you're saying, to not be the only one, but also when I walk in, for me to not feel like I have to adjust. And, and that's mm. also something that I am like working on internally. When I walk into a space being full of myself, yeah, unapologetic and really creating room for you know other you know people of color to walk in in that way. R- really living in my truth and and tr- and trying hard to speak the truth because it's hard when you are a person of color to speak truth to power because you know what the consequences are with yeah. the microaggressions and you know just you, you know we know all of that. But mm-hmm. but I really want to be intentional about saying, oh, I don't actually have to operate under these rules that were not set for me. Like, mm-hmm. I get to operate in my Africanness. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that is a whole other thing that has not been made, sp- that space has not been made for. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that is, that is hard. And I think, you know, a lot of times, going back to what we were saying earlier, I mean, certainly part of it is just being a woman, like being taught to be nice being taught to like constantly think about how others perceive you um, and having that sort of playing in your mind. But then when you add on the layer of blackness, again, like it, it is a different thing. Like 
how, you know, even, you know, recently speaking up about my hair and I have to think, okay, firstly, I have been more than thorough about what I needed and I, I'm boiling on the inside, but there is no way that I can show that and have people actually listen to me because I know that even though I'm justified, I'll still come across as an angry black woman. And the, the crazy thing about that is even, even if you're provided, like even yes. you can continue to adjust yourself. Yes. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And still, so I hear you on that. Um, and I think, you know, even for me, that's something to, to continue to work on is it's again, going to be uncomfortable, but how do I show up fully as myself without always putting that pressure and that filter yeah. in all of these situations? Yeah, no, I hear you on that. And, and then just to speak to what Kara said, because I feel like this is actually one of the things that I've noticed the most during this time, the intentions a lot of times are good. Like a lot <laughs> of times, even right now with people like listening and like wanting to have all of these listening sessions and all of that, the intentions are good. But, and, and, and in any of our journeys, you know, we will never be perfect. We're bound to make mistakes, but I think it's, when someone calls you out or calls you in, however we're, we're referring to that right now, do you become defensive or do you take the time to learn? Because if we are really listening and learning, um, then, and we have good intentions, then we should be listening to black people and to other people of color right now when it totally. comes to, to what they need. If we truly want to make this change and if we truly are believing past our Instagram post of hashtag black lives matter and are like ready to do the work. Yeah. Um, so I hear y'all on that about, but the thing that I hadn't really seen and I'm starting to see more of it, um, is this ability to imagine our future and to imagine our future in a way that like, yes, certainly, um, there's collaboration with PWIs, but that as Nakia was saying, like, centers our blackness and is is um really appealing to to us you know i think a lot of times in creation it's like well who who is this for like who is this audience and a lot of times unfortunately it's not us and one of the things that i love about this time is the ability to to center ourselves and to say oh so if i want to continue to participate in theater tv film what what does that look like what does that look like? Thank you all so much for joining us on this journey. I hope that folks were able to listen and learn and find some joy and maybe even see themselves reflected. These women were wonderful and I'm so grateful that they shared their time with us and grateful to ATC and their whole team for having me and for being able to highlight and showcase both Kara and Nakia. If you would like to continue to follow my journey, my website is shavannacalder.com. You can also find me on Instagram, shaviexo is the handle. For arts and color, for right now, you can find us on Facebook, but we will have a website coming soon. It is currently under design and you can find all of those resources. Mujer is found at MujerRev.com where you can purchase our digital issue, again with proceeds going to two wonderful organizations that are helping women across the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and have a good rest of your day, evening, wherever you are, whatever time zone it is, we appreciate you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Will Rogers and welcome to this week's Call Board. Thank you so much, Shavanna, for an amazing first Hang and Focus takeover. Um, it was an amazing conversation and thank you, Kara and Nakia and everyone who made this episode possible. Uh, we were so inspired by the work that you did that we thought, uh, what better use of the Call Board this week than to bring you, our audiences, um, some of the very best of the BIPOC women that are working in wardrobe and costume designing, working in hair and makeup um, around Arizona. So we'd like to present some of those women today and, uh, and bring them to your attention. We'd like you to meet Sasha Wordlaw, Matea Reeves, Lainey Nelson, and based in Tucson, Gabby Nava, who we had a chance to catch up with to learn a little bit more about her and get her reactions to this interview.
My name is Gabby. I am located in Tucson, Arizona, and I am a costume designer. So I went to the U of A for uh, costume design. And previously before that, I went to Phoenix College for fashion design. Currently, I'm working as a legal assistant at a law firm just to make ends meet, basically. But um, yeah, the dream is to work in film or work in theater and just create. I think just creating something, having it in your mind and then watching it come alive on stage with just the other um, designs like scenic, sound, lighting is just amazing. Um, but right now I'm just kind of doing freelance work. So I do a lot of commission work for one of my friends who does cosplay. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I mean, the pandemic, I made like a million masks for different clinics, the hospitals and stuff like that, yeah. I really love a lot of fashion designers. I mean, like Alexander McQueen is one of my favorite fashion designers. Um, I'm very much not like an outspoken, out there kind of person. So I feel like in my designs, I try to kind of embody that personality. So Alexander McQueen, um, I love Carolina Herrera. She's super classy, she's a Latina. Theater for me wasn't really a big thing growing up just because it it people in my community we come from a low-income community so it wasn't like oh let's go to the theater that was seen as something that people with money did and we didn't do that so um, I once I learned about theater and once I came to the U of A I, I fell in love with it and I realized that there was a lot of kids that were like me when I grew up that probably don't even know that theater is a thing. And I would love to bring that to a community like the one that I grew up in. Um, Honestly, it was so refreshing to watch it just because this entire time I was like, oh, there's nobody that thinks like me or feels like me. And just listening to them as, you know, minority women, um, BIPOC um, people, I, it was refreshing to see that a lot of the things that they thought I thought as well, you know, um, one of the, I don't remember which one, which lady it was, but they mentioned um, how walking into a room and not seeing anybody that looked like them. And that's totally how I felt when I came to Tucson, which is shocking because it's Tucson. So there should be a lot of Latinos here and a lot of African-American people. Um, but when I went to the U of A, I went into my first theater class and I looked around, I was like, huh, there's nobody that looks like me or speaks Spanish or just nobody that is kind of like who I am. So I felt very out of place. And I felt like that a lot in theater when I walk into a room and it's mostly white people and I feel like, oh, maybe I don't belong here or maybe my ideas aren't as good. Um, so knowing that other people feel that way and that it's acknowledged that it's a problem and that it we need more um, Latinos and more Black people and Asian people and all these other beautiful colored people in the industry is beautiful, I think. But wait, there's more. We have a brand new segment starting right here this week. At the end of every show from now on, uh, we will be bringing you community listings of uh, theater happenings around the state of Arizona. Our very own China Young will be bringing those to you and she is um, starting this series out in a very special place. Where are you, China? I am broadcasting today from the Temple of Music and Art, uh, where we have our ghost light on, where we will bring to you uh, information about local community theater events that are happening online and in person that you might want to check out. First, we've got Something Something Theater already streaming on YouTube, Valerie, a cosplay monologue, Winding Road Theater Ensemble opens their first show of the season, Consolation, on September 25th through October 11th. Uh, it's directed by yours truly, so please check that one out. Scoundrel and Scamp Theater is presenting It Is Magic starting September 28th through November 3rd, also online. Unscrewed Theater has weekly house parties of improv on Zoom. Heading up north to Phoenix, we've got Theater Works presenting an immersive theatrical event called curiouser and curiouser and that is happening now through october 18th and finally the arizona awards are coming up october 5th that is going to be an online streamed event and if you want your information added to our community call board please don't hesitate to email me china young c young at arizonatheater.org thank you so much everybody and uh remember if you want to know what's going on in theater across the state 
you can check here on Hang and Focus every week. Uh, China will bring that to you. Uh, thank you one more time, Savannah Calder, Muhair Magazine, Arts and Color. Uh, we can't wait to have you back. Um, anything I'm reading? Oh, yes. Don't forget to vote. Don't forget to register to vote. Get the word out. Go out. Make your voices heard. And see.